Through the years, I have been fascinated by the various stories about Emperor Bonaparte. Through the years, I kind of collected stories about him, and one story that will illustrate what I am about to bring you in this message took place while the emperor was reviewing his troops. And in the middle of his review, his horse bolted and literally was threatening to herald him to the ground. And immediately, a private in the French army jumped out of his um, troops, out of his ranks, and calmed the animal down, and thus saving, literally, the emperor from embarrassment. And uh, when that happened, the emperor looked at that private, and he said to him, he said, "'Thank you, captain.'" And the man smiled and looked at him, and he said, "'Of what regiment, sir?' (laughs) He said, "'Of my guard, of course,' as he dashed down the line. The private now turned captain immediately, assumed his rank among the officers. He left his troops, and he went to be with the officers. And when the officers saw him, they were so appalled that he would dare to look like them and be part of them and be among them. And and one of them asked, what is this insolent private doing here? And uh, the newly promoted private said, I am the captain of the guard. (laughs) And the officer said, you rascal, you're just a private. Who makes you think that you're a captain? The young man pointed to Bonaparte proudly and said, He said it. He said it. Upon which the officer apologized. And he said, I beg your pardon, sir. (laughs) I was not aware of your promotion. Now, this private most likely did not feel like a captain. Certainly, he was not wearing a captain's uniform. The insignia did not say he was a captain. All he was going by is the word of the emperor, and that was enough. I remember one time I got into a deep debate for over two hours with a clergyman from the mainland denominations, and uh, he is one of those people who have believed and taught that it is absolute arrogance to say that to be sure that the moment you close your eyes in death that you will be in heaven. There are so many churchgoers today who think that it is prideful, that it is arrogant to be sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. They think you think that you're good enough for God. So many churchgoers today, if you ask them, If you die today, would you be absolutely sure that you'll go to heaven? They will say, I hope so. They will say, I am trying hard. They will say, I am working hard. I am doing my best. I'm doing all sorts of charitable work. I am hoping that all of my good work will overwhelm my bad deeds, and I am just putting hope against hope that I'll make it there at the end. Sadly, that is not Christianity. It's neo-paganism invaded the church. The only reason a believer is assured that he or she will go to heaven the moment they close their eyes in death is because Jesus said it. That is really the title of my message. (laughs) It is because God 
promised heaven to all confessing, repentant people. It is because God's grace is given freely to everyone who would come to Him in humility and in faith, believing in Him, obeying Him. Ah, we do good work, but not so that we may be accepted by God. Our good work is in gratitude and in thanksgiving that He had accepted us. That's what the good work of believers is all about. He said it, and that's enough. Our emperor said it. Our Lord said it. Our Savior said it. Our commander-in-chief said it. And because He said it, that's enough. One of the clearest evidence of what I'm talking about here is found in Jesus' second statement from the cross. In the last message, we examined the first statement from the cross as Jesus was suspended between heaven and earth, was a cry to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That first statement that Jesus made in the midst of His indescribable agony was a prayer from God the Son to God the Father. And here the second statement from the cross is a prayer from a repentant sinner to the God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This criminal who hung on that cross next to Jesus said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's that simple. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23, please, as we look at that passage together. It's a very short passage, Luke 23, beginning at verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there heralded insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he had done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, open spiritual eyes and ears today so that your name be glorified, for it is in that name of Jesus I pray. Amen. This is the last conversation, possibly the briefest conversation, that our Lord had before He died with somebody. We know He had long conversations with Nicodemus. He had long conversations with the Samaritan woman. He had long conversations with others. But this is the briefest of them all, and was the last one before He died. In fact, all four Gospels record the fact that Jesus was crucified between two criminals. Some have said that this was the Romans' way of mocking Jesus, who claimed to be the king, as if to tell him, here's your court, Jesus, two criminals. But really, the reason for that goes much deeper. It is in fulfillment of what the Old Testament said about the Messiah. For the book of Isaiah 53 tells us that Isaiah was prophesying of the coming of the Messiah. 
He said that he will be numbered with his transgressors. And yet, ultimately, this scenario here at the cross, this incident, revealed to us the entire Christian faith in a capsule. It is the entire gospel in a miniature form. You say, how come? Being crucified between criminals who had two different reactions to Him represents two ways that men and women have reacted to Jesus for 2,000 years. Beloved, let me tell you something. The ACLU is not the first group of people who wanted to stamp out the name of Jesus from public life. The ACLU is not the first group of people who wanted to move the crosses from public eye. These types of folks have been in existence for 2,000 years, beginning at the cross of Jesus. There were two men, two reactions, and two responses, and two different eternal destinations. This is what the cross is all about. The cross divides. I know there are some people out there anxious to give Jesus a good marketing format. They want to make Him palatable. They want to make Him acceptable. They want to make Him respectable. But the reality is the cross of Christ divides those who accept and those who reject. Both of these men represent all of humanity. Both are equally near Christ. Both saw and heard what had taken place in the last six hours. Uh, They both were dying men. They both were suffering acute physical pain. Both were sinners in need of forgiveness. Yet one died in his sin and ended up in eternal judgment, and the other one died forgiven, justified before God the Father, and went to paradise. The word criminal here in the Greek is really, in some of your translations, says thief or robber, but it really does not, uh, lesser does not mean that. The word actually means a criminal. In fact, it means that they were zealots, they were revolutionaries. Uh, these Two men were plotting to overthrow the Roman authority, obviously, because Romans did not crucify petty thieves or criminals or muggers. They only crucified those who were accused of being disloyal to Caesar. Both men knew who Jesus was, but the unrepentant one said, You're the Christ, aren't you? Literally, you're the Christ, aren't you? Why don't you save yourself and save us? Almost in those words, you feel the depth of bitterness in this man's voice. You you, you can sense his… It's it's, it's the words of a rejected lover. It's a word of a disappointed and angry person whose hopes have been dashed and dreams been destroyed. Like Judas Iscariot, they probably were revolutionaries. They were zealots. And they hope that Jesus is going to fulfill their political ambitions. They hope that Jesus was going to help their career ambitions, that Jesus would fulfill their national dream, that Jesus would fulfill their hope of being liberated from Rome, that Jesus would do that. But now, as they see Him on the cross, those hopes and dreams have been shattered. You know, 
the people who are the most bitter toward God, the people who really have an intense hatred and anger with God, are the very people who have asked God to do something for them, and when God did not deliver exactly what they wanted, when they wanted, they become bitter toward God. So they spend their life, on the one hand, they deny His existence, on the other hand, fighting Him. I often wonder how the atheists can really live with themselves. I mean, they're constantly fighting somebody they say he doesn't exist. <laughs> Bless their hearts. If he doesn't exist, why are you fighting him? <laughs> but listen to me. Here's the thing that breaks one's heart, because you see, they never saw God or experienced Him as a loving Father who cares for His children. They never understood, they never experienced Him as a loving Father who cares for every single detail in the life of their children. They know Him as the man upstairs who come to Him when they need something, and when they don't get it, they get angry with Him. And beloved, don't forget that while the first man was reviling Jesus, so was the second man. They both were reviling Jesus. According to Matthew and Mark, they both reviled Him. Oh, but something happened to that second man. Something happened that changed his life. Something happened that changed his heart. Obviously, he heard the first statement that Jesus made when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And he never heard this before. For those who are being crucified often cursed their crucifiers, not forgave them. And that's something new to him. And it transformed his life. Those words transformed him from being a reviler to a repenter, from being a doubter to a believer, from being a bitter skeptic to a follower of Christ. Someone may ask, what are the evidence that this man was really repentant? Plenty. Plenty of evidence. Let me give you at least five. <laughs> First, he was deeply concerned about his comrade, his compatriot, his blasphemy against God, and he began to rebuke him. Secondly, he acknowledged his own sin. And thirdly, he confessed Christ's innocence, that he was a righteous man. Fourthly, he stepped out in faith and acknowledged Jesus' power to save him, even though Christ was hanging helplessly on the cross next to him. And fifthly, he acknowledged that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He said to his comrade in arms, he said, Man, you're about to face God, and you're going to end your life with blasphemy and bitterness toward God. These two comrades, these two fellow zealots, they, they were buddies. They were, they were drinking buddies. They were golfing buddies. They were, they were buddies. They, 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 and they both were reviling Jesus until one turns his life over to Jesus and becomes saved. Now, beloved people today say that the name of Jesus is controversial. And I agree. Of course it's controversial. Because, you see, the name of Jesus is a rebuke. It is a rebuke for everyone who thinks that they don't need a Savior. It is a rebuke for everyone who thinks that they can save themselves. It is a rebuke for everyone 
who lives their lives in a foggy ambiguity. It's a rebuke for everyone who lives their lives in relativism and existentialism. It's a rebuke for everyone who claims that their life of sin is noble and an alternate lifestyle. It is a rebuke for everyone who is filled with pride of self. It's a rebuke. That's why it's controversial. Invariably, I get invited to pray at one of those public events, and I say, now, you know that uh, I only pray in the name of Jesus. For without praying in the name of Jesus, a prayer is not worth half a hallelujah. Ooh! Dr. Yusuf, you know that's a very controversial name. Don't you know that? Oh, yes, I do. You better go and find somebody else, because I ain't going to do it. Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, it's in the name of Jesus. You see, our world is just like that scenario at Golgotha. It really is. It's made up of two kinds of people. Those who revile Jesus and use His name as a swear word and a curse word, and those who love Him. Those who reject Him and those who welcome Him those who crowd Him out of their life and have no time for Him, and those who trust them for everything in their life, those who are empty and they come to Him empty so that they may be filled, and those who feel they don't need Him. It is those who want to be saved by Him and cry out and say, Save me! And those who try to save themselves. Two types of people. And you'll find them everywhere you go. This man said, remember me. Remember me. That's all he said. Remember me. Let me ask you this. Did he say, remember my good works? Did he say, Jesus, I'll remember my good intentions? Did he say, remember my sincerity? Did he say, remember my political activities? Did he say, remember my family heritage? No. He only said, remember me in your kingdom. I know that you're a king, even though you're hanging next to me helplessly on that cross because you're carrying my sins. I know that you're the king of glory, even though you are paying for the penalty of my sins. I know that you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords, even though you are carrying my sins on the cross. In other words, he was saying, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Let me tell you something. If anyone would come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, I can tell you, he never, 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 how many nevers are these? (laughs) Never, 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 never reject you. He will always give mercy. Because that's his promise. And he keeps his word. The famous astronomer Copernicus, his last prayer was as follows. I don't ask for the grace you gave St. Paul, nor can I dare ask for the grace you granted St. Peter. But the mercy you did show to the dying robber, that mercy show to me. This man did not ask Jesus to save him from the cross like the other one did. Oh, but he prayed for something far greater. This man understood that life on earth, whether it be 50 years or 100 years, is going to end. 
but the life that really counts is the life that is going to be lived forever and ever and ever and ever beyond the grave. And that is why he said to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man understood that that's really the life that really counts. And on that day of crucifixion, don't ever forget that all of Jesus' disciples fled except for John, that the government prosecuted and rejected Jesus, that the organized religion repudiated Jesus, that the crowd and the mob, they reviled Jesus. But this man said, have mercy on me. Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. My beloved friend, this is the only way that you can get into Jesus' heaven. And don't ever forget that the reason heaven is heaven is because Jesus is there. That's the only reason why it's called heaven. It is Jesus' heaven. He presides over His heaven. He's in charge of His heaven. He's the King of heaven. And you see what happens, the movies, Hollywood, and the media, and the culture, and even some preachers in some churches have sold us a bill of goods. They have given us a lot of deception. They've told people that everyone, when they die, they go to heaven. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is false. It's untrue. It's a deception. I want you to think with me. Whether you agree with me or not, I just want you to think, okay? Just think with me. Imagine somebody lived their life here rejecting Jesus, want nothing to do with him, but then they say when they die, he's going to go to heaven. How if he didn't, couldn't stand Jesus here on earth, how is he going to live his life for eternity bowing to Jesus, loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, singing the praises of Jesus? But that's what heaven is all about. <laughs> you know what? To them, heaven would be hell because they already rejected him while on this earth. That is why I weep tears, because I don't want anybody at the sound of my voice would end up in that place. What about those channelers who come on television and tell the bereaved families and all oh, the loved ones in a wonderful place, that all oh, they're all in a place that's full? They are deceivers and demon-possessed and both, because that is just not true. Those who have rejected Christ, they're far from being in a wonderful place. They're in a miserable place, a place that was described by Jesus Himself, who created all the world, who created heaven and earth, who created all of the galaxies. He said that place, when He told us the story of the rich man and Lazarus, He said it's a place of torment, a place of pain. And I don't say that with any joy in my heart, trust me that the man couldn't even stand it for a few seconds and wanted to get out. And when he knew he couldn't get out, he said, well, please send Lazarus back from the dead because my brothers, I don't want him to come here. Please hear me right. Jesus came from heaven so that he may save everyone who would believe in him, everyone who would trust him for salvation. And here he assures this, this repentant criminal, he assures him, he said, today you shall be with me in paradise. What is that paradise? Well, it's a word that's used to mean a garden, a beautiful garden. In fact, it was used to describe the Garden of Eden. And it is a place that the Bible said where all the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament believers, Abraham and Jacob and I, all those who put trusted 
by faith in the coming of the Messiah. They were there in that place, in paradise. And that's where Lazarus, in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, went. And it was a place of waiting. They were waiting for Jesus to come and redeem them and die on a cross and rise again. And that is why when Jesus died, He went to paradise. And there He declared His lordship. There He declared His power over death. And He took all of the Old Testament saints, and He took them all to heaven with Him. And then He came and rose again on the third day, so that He might tell the New Testament believers that He lives, that He lives, that He lives, that He lives forever. And everyone who believes in Him is going to live with Him. Amen. this man didn't get to be baptized. He didn't get a chance to be baptized. He didn't get a chance to take communion. All of these wonderful things that we do in order that we might be reminded of what Jesus did on the cross, a covenant of baptism which we entered into today, the communion which we celebrate on a regular basis, these are things for us to remember. But this man didn't have to go through a lot of hoops. He made it straight into heaven by the grace of Jesus. And that's the only way you and I are going to ever make it to heaven is by the grace of Jesus. Have you experienced that grace? Have you ever come to Him and say, Father, forgive me, remember me, and then begun to walk with Him in obedience? The only way we're going to make it to heaven is because He said it. It's the only way that we're going to make it to heaven. Not because we're good enough for God. No one is good enough for God except Jesus. He's the only perfect one. It's by the grace of God we'll make it to heaven. By order and the promise of King Jesus. Because Jesus said it. Jesus did not say to this man, today you're going to be with me in an intermediary place. Or today you're going to be with me in a halfway house where you're going to be paying dues. And then you get yourself out of there. And if your family work hard, we might get you out of it. No, no, no. He didn't say that. There's no waiting place. There's no waiting place. He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Today you're going to be where I am. Today, today, this moment. Paul said, when I close my eyes in death, I'm in the presence of Jesus. And that is why we don't grieve and we don't wail and we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. Why? Because we know that the moment they close their eyes in death, they are immediately in the presence of Jesus. Because He said it. Let me conclude this today by sharing something with you that I read many years ago. I want to read it to you. I sinned and strayed away. Post-haste, Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusations there. He said, this soul, this thing of clay and sod has sinned. Tis true that he has named thy name, but I demand his death, for thou hast said the soul that sins, it shall die. Shall not thy sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? Send now this wretched sinner to his doom. What other thing 
can righteous ruler do? And thus he did accuse me day and night, and every word he spoke, O God, was true. Then quickly one rose up from God's right hand, before whose glory angels veiled their eyes. He spoke, each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled, and guilty sinners died. But wait! Suppose his guilt were all transformed to me, and I paid his penalty. Behold my hands, my side, and my feet. One day I was made sin for him and died that he may be presented faultless at thy throne. And Satan fled away. Full will he knew that he could not prevail against such love. For every word my dear Lord spoke was true. Now, my beloved friends, I don't know where you are. Only you do. Can you ask yourself this question? If I close my eyes in death today, would I be in heaven? You say, no, I'm not really sure. Well, you can't be today. You can't be today. That's what the Christian faith is all about. If you say, well, I, sometimes I feel I am, sometimes I don't, let me ask you this. Do you love Jesus? Do you long in your heart to obey Him? Do you long to spend time with Him in His Word? Because these are the human indicators for you. You say, well, I'm not sure. Well, here's how you can be sure. But if you have never come to Him and cried for mercy, this is the place to do it. This is the time to do it. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.